With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Good boys and girls, two-footed podcast on Tuesday, the 23rd of November, brought to you by EPLindex.com in association with our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network will allow you to go online, change your location and access things that you are geo-blocked from, while also keeping your data safe. So what I mean by geo-blocked, if you are an English expat living in Spain, and you want to access the BBC iPlayer on your tablet or your laptop or whatever, and you go on and it says, this is not available in your location, Act- activate your Liberty Shield VPN, set it to UK, and your internet provider will think, you're in the UK, and there you go. It will work, your data will be safe. Use the code EPLPOD, that's E-P-L-P-O-D, to get 50% off a checkout from the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot, libertyshield.com, EPL pod, 50% off, instant download to your device, get using straight away. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk. And finally, do remember to check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you can find on Etsy. Just download the Etsy app onto your phone and get so you should have it anyway, because Etsy's really good. Unless you're outside the UK and then you're getting buried on import charges from the Republic of Ireland government. If you live here, like I need to take a minute. I'm not going to, but I need to take some time to scream at some politicians because 
we are getting absolutely hosed on import charges that we shouldn't have to pay. We should not have to pay them. It's not our fault. Governments are stupid. Anyway, soapbox aside, uh, there are two discount codes that you can use on Anfield Index, the, the Anfield Index shop. It's red 25 on the EPL Index shop. It's EPL 25. Use those and you will get yourself a discount. 25% off. Right, folks. Enough of that. Anyway, today is going to be Manchester United Day here on the Two-Footed Podcast. So if that is not for you, I would suggest turning off. There is very little else in the sphere of football right now than Manchester United discussion. Oli sacked at the weekend, obviously. No plan in place at all. A club flying by the seat of its arse. No direction, no leadership. The fans thought they were finally going to rid themselves of Ed Woodward. It appears like he may now end up staying, which I don't think anybody really wants, other than Ed Woodward and the higher-ups at Manchester United. So let's start from the top. Okay, They've got bad ownership. And when you have bad ownership, you need one of two things. A really popular manager or a really unpopular manager. So Mike Ashley had Steve Bruce. Things had gone toxic at Newcastle with Mike Ashley and the fans long before Steve Bruce arrived. Rafa Benitez was very popular with the fans and did a really good job. And that protected Ashley from some of the vitriol and dislike. When Rafa didn't get a new contract, because the one thing with Rafa is Rafa does side with the fans, and Rafa wants the best for the fans and for the football club. He doesn't really want the best for the owner because he understands that owners, well, they have the best anyway. They've got loads and loads of money. So Rafa's very demanding of his owners. He was demanding at Valencia. He was demanding at Liverpool. He was demanding at Inter Milan. He was demanding at Napoli. And he was demanding at Newcastle. And Mike Ashley didn't want to bow to his demands, didn't want to spend the money on players when Rafa asked. So he removed Rafa as manager. He sent him on down the road, and that was the end of that. He brought in Steve Bruce to replace him. Straight away, an unpopular appointment. Steve Bruce had multiple failures in the recent past, most notably at Aston Villa, where the fans had turned against him. Again, an unpopular owner, kept him in charge a little bit too long, but he kept him in charge to protect himself. Steve Bruce was at Newcastle for as long as he was to keep the screaming away from Mike Ashley's door. Ollie has been kept at United Longer, first of all, Ollie should never have been appointed by Manchester United. But when he came in as the caretaker, it kind of made sense. They had decided that at that point there was nobody available that could do the job that they wanted. And the job that they wanted, obviously, was to return United to the upper echelons of world football. Mourinho had kind of skirted with it, but. The style of football was ugly. There was falling out with some of the players. And, and Mourinho's always a, a short shelf life manager anyway. 
Ollie comes in, and the plan is Ollie will get us to the end of the season, and then we'll see. Then we'll find the manager that we want. Unfortunately, Ollie did quite well, and the fans began to clamor for him to get the job on a permanent basis. And multiple former Manchester United players, highly influ influential people, such as Gary Neville, such as Rio Ferdinand, also began to clamour for Oli to get the job on a permanent basis. We all have seen the clip of Rio with whatever piece of paper he has in his hand, and he said, Manchester United won't thank me for this, and he slams it down, and he says, give him the piece of paper, tell him to fill in whatever numbers he wants, and get him to, to sign it. Ollie's at the wheel. He's doing his thing. Manchester United are back. And that carried weight with a lot of fans. And the owners didn't really have a choice. They had to appoint Ollie on a permanent basis. The groundswell had gotten to the point that they really didn't have a choice in the matter. That's not true. They could have said, no, we're going to move on from Ollie. We'll bring in somebody else. They would have faced a massive backlash. And as I said, they're already unpopular owners long before this. They've been unpopular owners for the best part of a decade before this. But they saw a manager who the vast majority of the fan base was right behind. He was a legend as a player scored one of the most important goals in the history of the club. And the fans really wanted him in charge because they really wanted that, that gateway to their past successes. Somebody that they could look at and think, well, look what he's done for us in the past. He's connected to Ferguson and all this kind of stuff. Moyes hadn't worked. Van Hal hadn't worked. Mourinho hadn't worked. The personalities of those managers didn't really mesh well with the club and with the fans. And the style of football wasn't always what the fans wanted to see. And the success hadn't been there. But the success was never going to be there. Post-Ferguson, the success was never going to be there. You could have appointed anyone you want and it wasn't going to work for them straight away. It was going to take a couple of years because the squad needed to be completely overhauled. So unfortunately for Moyes and, and Van Hal. They were there as a lot of those older players kind of aged out of the team. A lot of younger players came along from the academy but weren't quite ready. Mourinho was a little bit of a sweet spot in that the squad had had quite a bit of turnover. Youngsters like McTominay and Rashford in particular had stepped up and were now ready to contribute. And Mourinho was able to spend some big money and with his name and his gravitas he was able to attract certain top class players. He wins a couple of trophies. He gets a second place. And then it all fa falls apart. Now, it's worth pointing out that in Mourinho's two seasons, two full seasons, I should say, at United, they finish sixth. They win the EFL Cup and they win the Europa League. Then they finish second. In 17-18, they finish second on 81 points. And then the wheels start to fall off. He's falling out with Pogba. The results aren't going well. The style of football has become very, very turgid. United are sixth when they make the decision to sack Jose Mourinho. Oli takes over on the 19th of December as the caretaker. And he goes on, to his credit, 
a very, very good run. In the Premier League, they win their first six games under Raleigh. They go unbeaten through 12 games in the league. They win six in a row, draw one, win two, draw one, win two. Then they lose one. That's an away game to Arsenal, which isn't a dreadful result. The highest they've gotten is fourth. But there's a lot of signs of progress here. Then they give him the contract on the 28th of March, permanent manager. He wins his first game at home to Watford. But then in the last seven, they win only one, draw two and lose four. So there's your warning signs. He's gotten the contract permanently. Now he's actually the manager. Now the real pressure starts. And United's end of season was shocking. And what should have been near certain top four qualification slips away. And they end up finishing sixth. 66 points for the year. Pretty poor return. But that end of season was very concerning. Good opportunity missed. Obviously didn't do much of of, of note in the Champions League. Um, Got knocked out by Barcelona fairly comfortably in the quarterfinals. Did have that miraculous victory over Paris Saint-Germain in Paris. uh, A 3-1 win. Having lost the first leg 2-0, they knocked out PSG. That's kind of Ollie's crowning glory at United, is beating PSG away. uh, While still caretaker manager. I think that might have been the night where Rio did the silly thing. They go into that summer, they spend a lot of money. We know that they spent a, a ton of money under Ollie, well over $400 million. It's Wan-Bissaka, it's Maguire, it's Dan James. Then in the January, you get Bruno. And you're thinking, okay, well, what is he building now? So he's brought in Wan-Bissaka, a purely defensive right back. He's brought in Maguire, a good centre-back, not a great centre-back. Slow, a little bit cumbersome, decent on the ball, great in the air. Fine when the game is in front of him, can't really play with the game behind him, can't get turned, can't defend facing his own goal at all. So you're looking at a team here that are going to play a deep block, and you've got your Dan James, you've got Rashford, they're going to be a counter-attacking team. They bring in Bruno. Bruno kind of fits into that counter-attacking team. He's got a good passing range. He covers a lot of ground. He's a very hard worker. And he can get forward and get goals in a counter-attacking system. Okay, that's what United are going to be under Ollie. They're going to be a counter-attacking team. That's what they're going to build to become. The second season, they finish third. They get to three semifinals, FA Cup, EFL Cup, and Europa League, and lose them all. They finished third with 66 points, the same amount of points they got the previous season. So they didn't so much get better as the league got worse. And if Leicester hadn't bottled the end of the season, Leicester would have finished in the top four. And one of them or Chelsea would have been knocked out. Most likely Chelsea, to be fair. United had a much better goal difference. And there's... It's not a rule, it's a theory that I've had for years. If you finish a season with a goal difference of plus 30, so if you score 30 more than you concede, you will get top four football. 
There have only been two instances in the last 30 years that I've tracked this across the big five leagues. Only two instances of teams scoring 30 more than they concede and not getting top four. One of them was Fiorentina, who actually did finish top four, but got points deducted because of their part in Calciopoli, so ended up missing out. And the other was Arsenal. And the issue for Arsenal was four other teams finished with plus 30. Four other teams finished with a better goal difference than them. Um, so United with plus 30, almost certainly going to get in. Leicester, plus 26, missed out, and Chelsea snuck in. But again, you look at that United team that season, they were very much a counter-attacking team. Against the vast majority of the good teams, Oli would set his team out to defend deep, to be very difficult to break down, and to counterattack with real pace and with real purpose. And they went in a brilliant second half run once uh, Bruno Fernandes arrived. They were outstanding. They didn't lose in the league from January. They lost back-to-back to Liverpool and Burnley after losing to Arsenal that month as well. They win one game in January. That's a home to Norwich, a 4-0 win. Lose the other three. But then starting in February, they go unbeaten. And they get themselves into top four. A top four that had not looked likely for them until that brilliant run and their ability to finally score goals, led by Bruno Fernandes. So... We've kind of got what United are going to be. They're going to be a you know a, a counter-attacking team. They're a little bit shaky defensively. You're going to look to upgrade a couple of positions. Surely there's a defensive midfielder to come in. Maybe you want another centre-back. And you might want to find yourself a number nine because obviously they've, they've sent Lukaku away on down to uh, Inter Milan. But then they have a bizarre summer where they bring in Alex Tellez not a particularly good defender. Is he going to play left wing? What's the point of Alex Tellers here? They bring in Donny van de Beek, not suited at all to a defensive counter-attacking team. They bring in Cavani, Palestri and Ahmed Diallo, the latter two, obviously young players. This is a confusing summer. I said when they signed Donny van de Beek, because I literally just started doing this podcast, I think the week before, that's a signing for the sake of a signing. They did not want Donny van de Beek. They had wanted Jaden Sancho, who would have suited the counter-attacking mandate. He wasn't what they needed, but he would have suited how they were going to play. We knew Greenwood was, was ready to go. They had Rashford. You're thinking, that's the front three. Bruno was one of the midfielders. Fred is fine in what you're looking to do. Get that defensive midfielder. Get that centre-back next to Maguire. And you're probably pretty close to ready to play. You're probably pretty close to what you're going to be. Now, whether or not this was going to ever be good enough to win anything, I don't know. Because you'd have a young front three, as they have now, obviously, because they ended up getting Sancho, of Sancho, Rashford and Greenwood. And then you'd have the likes of Maguire, who's 28. So as those front players hit their best years, Maguire is going to be on his way out of the club. 
so you've got competing elements here. Bruno's kind of in the middle age-wise. Wan-Bissak is a young player. Shaw's in the middle. Fred's in the middle. But defensively, there's already question marks over the fullbacks. And Maguire's age doesn't really fit with the profile of the rest. Neither does De Gea's age. And then you make these confusing signings. Signings for the sole purpose of signing players to appease your fans. Now, they went into that season, and that was obviously the um, the pandemic year, uh, and they get second. Liverpool, loads of injuries. Chelsea, strong Frank Lampard tax. United end up finishing second in the league. Now, they finished second on 74 points, which is seven points less than Mourinho got when he finished second in a weaker league. A weaker league than the one Mourinho finished second in. No great teams in the league last year. City were very good, and that was about it. You had a mediocre Liverpool, a mediocre Chelsea for much of the season. And yet they still managed to finish top four, you know, Liverpool five points behind United with a better goal difference. Or sorry, with a better defensive record, despite having no centre-backs for the full year. You, again, United not good enough defensively to be this defensive counter-attacking team because they never addressed defensive midfield and they never addressed that centre-back next to Maguire. So this past summer, you're looking at it and thinking... You are well set up here to potentially go this counter-attacking route. You have a good core of players that could do it. You've got to address the two biggest needs in your team. So they go and they get Raphael Varane. Not ideal for a deep block. A very, very good defender, don't get me wrong. But Raphael Varane is the type of defender you buy when you want to play a high line. And that's at odds with Harry Maguire. Now, you could certainly give Varane... Three, six months, and he'll adapt his game and he'll be fine. But again, his age profile isn't in line with those younger attackers. And it's not ideal with the fullbacks they have. It's not a perfect fit with Maguire. None of the pieces ideally fit together. With Varane, you want to play a high line. One of the big pluses of Wan-Bissaka is that recovery pace which will allow you to play a high line. Shaw's probably not ideal for a high line, but you could get away with it if you had a pacey left-side centre-back. And unfortunately, they have probably the second slowest centre-back in the league after Yannick Vestergaard in Harry Maguire. So the defence doesn't really fit together. But surely they're going to address the midfield. They don't. Nothing is done with the midfield. It's still McTominay, it's still Fred, it's still Matic, who's well past his best. Bruno Fernandes is in there trying to do a lot of dog work that's taking away from the better aspects of his game. The aspects of his game that saw him carry them to third and then carry them to second, they're now gone this season. They finally get Sancho. But then they don't have any plan for Sancho once he arrived because they also buy Cristiano Ronaldo. There's lots of talent here. We're name, I'm naming talented players, but there's no 
there's no system in which they all work. There's no way for United to get their best players on the pitch together. They could go with a 4-2-3-1. But Cristiano has to play. Okay, that's the thing. He has to play. Now, not because he deserves to play. Not because he should play. But because of the power he holds. And because of the man sitting up in the stands in the black jacket. Alex Ferguson still wields the power at Old Trafford. And he will insist that Cristiano's in the team. So he has to play. You can go 4-2-3-1 as they have this season. But if you do that, Bruno's your 10. There's no spot for Van de Beek. And you can only get one... Sorry, you can only get two of Sancho, Rashford and Greenwood into the team. So you've got to leave one of them out. You've also then got the fact that Cristiano isn't good as a lone striker. So there's a flaw straight away. Another flaw in that system, well, you've no midfield. You just don't own a midfield. Another flaw in that system, you have to play a deep defensive line because you've got Harry Maguire. 4-2-3-1 is very much set up to be a pressing system. You can't press if your striker doesn't press. You just can't. I saw someone say yesterday, well, you could bring in Pochettino and we're going to get to Pochettino. And he's used to having a pressing system with an immobile striker in Harry Kane. Well, hang on a second. Pre-ankle injury, Harry Kane pressed like a dog. Pre-ankle injury, Harry Kane was very mobile. And at no point in his career, bar this season when he's completely disconnected from the club he's at, has Harry Maguire been a la- Harry Kane been a lazy player. Cristiano's a lazy player. He does no work off the ball. Whether you have possession or not, he's not doing any work if he doesn't have the ball. He is standing about waiting for it or making runs to benefit him and only him. He has no interest in making runs that aid any other player on the pitch. We saw against Watford him dropping into weird, weird positions. Popped up at left back a couple of times looking for the ball. Purely because the ball wasn't getting to him and he was getting frustrated. One of the reasons the ball wasn't getting to him is because he wasn't posting up. He wasn't presenting any kind of figure for the his players to play the ball into. When they did play it into him, he was getting bullied off the ball. So you've got the Cristiano issue up front. You've got an issue in that secondary line in that you're having to leave out one of your best players. You've got no midfield and your defence can't play a pressing system because you cannot press if you're playing a deep block. You you can't play a high press if you're playing a deep block. Let, Let us say that. You can press in stages. Watch West Ham and how they press out from the back. But the purpose of West Ham's press from the back is never to win the ball back. It's purely to advance their position, to move their defensive line from the edge of their own penalty box 10 yards forward. Manchester United aren't well enough coached to do anything like that. Cristiano needs to play in a two. The only striker United have that fits in a two with him is Cavani. 
If you do that, you've got to play either Bruno as a 10, which means no Rashford, no Greenwood, and no Sancho. Or you've got to play with wingers. So say Sancho and Rashford or Sancho and Greenwood or Greenwood and Rashford. But that means no Bruno because Bruno's not playing in the midfield too. So I've heard all the ca- the cases that Ollie has left United better off than he found them. So let's start with the fact that United are currently eighth. He took over team in sixth. They're now eighth. So from purely that point of view, he's left them a little bit worse off. Not much, but a little. The squad is better, is the big argument. And individually, yes, the squad is better. But it doesn't fit together. There has been no purpose to the buying of these players. They have not been bought with a distinctive style of play in mind or a shape or a system. And when you go through the pieces, and myself and some people were talking with this on WhatsApp last night. On paper, you could make a case that if you gave them a really good right back, say a Max Aarons type, an attacking right back, and a really good holding midfielder like a Wilf and Didi, they could be a title contender. Aarons, Varane, Maguire, Shaw, De Gea in goal, Bruno, Ndidi, Fred or McTominay, Greenwood, Rashford, Sancho up front. That's not bad. But what's your style of play? Are you a counter-attacking team? If so, fine. I don't know that you can win the league playing that way. But if so, fine. That will work as a counter-attacking team. If you want to be a possession-based team, it's probably not good enough. There's probably not enough real creativity in the team. If you want to be a high-pressing team, it's not working. Because you can't play a high line with Maguire. If you can't play a high line, you can't compress space. The best pressing team in England is Liverpool. And the reason they're so good is because they turn a football pitch from 100 metres into 50 metres. They go and they defend the halfway line. Van Dijk and whoever are on the halfway line. And then Fabinho sits in front of them. And then the rest go and press. And you've got seven players aggressively trying to press. And what happens then is they overload people and they overwhelm them. And teams either give the ball away by trying to play out, they put it out of play, or they lump it long. And if you lump it long against Van Dijk, you're losing that foot race. Allison also plays a very high line behind them. Allison is on the edge of his own penalty box. So he can sweep if need be. Maguire couldn't do that ever because he's so painfully slow. Varane can't cover the whole pitch by himself. Wan-Bissaka is the wrong side. See, if Wan-Bissaka was the left back, you could maybe get away with it by playing him in a more withdrawn role by basically sitting a back three on halfway. But Maguire is a left side centre back. 
Varane is a right side centre back. You can't swap them. I've seen people say, oh, just swap them. It doesn't work like that. They're specialists. They have specialist positions. United did not pay 80 million for Harry Maguire based on his performances at right side centre back. They paid that money for him based on his performances at left side centre back. Raphael Varane did not become one of the best defenders in the world playing left side centre back. He did it playing right side centre back. Now, if you went to a back three, you could maybe go Varane on the right, Maguire in the middle, and Wan Bissaka on the left of a back three. I don't know if it would work, but it would protect Maguire from, from the, the lack of pace. And then maybe you could defend the halfway line. The issue for United is they don't have any wing backs. They don't have a midfield that works. And you're going to have to leave out one or two of your young players. The other issue with all of these suggestions is I haven't included Cristiano, who is going to play. And I've never once mentioned Paul Pogba. And United still have never figured out how to correctly use him. The best games Oli got from Pogba were left wing. Left wing. If you play him left wing, then you're leaving out Rashford and probably Sancho. And that's an awful lot of talent that can't play in your team. And you're not good enough to be leaving out that level of talent. So you look at the squad and you think it needs quite a bit of work. Like to become a real title contender, they probably need a new goalkeeper. They probably need to replace Maguire. They definitely need to replace Wan-Bissaka. They definitely need a holding midfielder. And they probably need to get rid of Cristiano Ronaldo. Now, I can see them replacing Wan-Bissaka. I don't see them doing a new goalkeeper or a new centre-back. I think they'll get a holding midfielder eventually. But... They won't replace Cristiano. He will play as long as he's there because he demands to play and he will cause such an amount of trouble if he doesn't. I said before, he is both arsonist and fireman. He has gotten credit for scoring late goals and go-ahead goals and, and you know goals that get draws and whatever while people ignore that it's his lack of performance up to that point, that puts United behind quite often. It's very difficult to play with 10 men. And United have to play with 10 men while he's on the pitch, unless he scores. If he doesn't score, he offers absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. He's a liability. You can't press with him. He doesn't give you an out ball. He doesn't pass, but he's never been a particularly good passer of the ball. He is purely a goal scorer at this point. And if he's not doing that, he's not doing enough. And to get the best out of him as a goal scorer, you need someone to do the donkey work for him. Maratha did it. Mandzukic has done it for him. Rooney did it back in the day. Benzema did it. Higuain did it. They've all just sacrificed their game to do the donkey work for this guy. And United only have one player who's suitable in that role, and that's Cavani who's 35 in January. So you've got a 35-year-old and a 37-year-old that you're pinning your hopes on. And to play both of them, you're either not playing Bruno 
or you're not playing any of your wide players if you want to be a real functional team. So when I, I hear people say Ollie's left the squad better off than he found it, I don't think it's true. Because when he took over, yes, there were more holes, but there weren't massive mistakes sitting in the squad who cost huge amounts of money, one of whom wears an armband and therefore will be in the team. Another one earns 500000 a week and is widely seen as one of the greatest players of all time, even if he's always been overrated. And the Paul Pogba issue is still there. So I don't agree that the squad is better off. He spent $460 million, and I think there are more problems in the squad now than there were when he took over. If we go back and look at the season he took over and look at the squad he inherited, it wasn't some team of scrubs. De Gea was there. Lindelof was there. They're still playing regularly. Bailly and Jones were still there. Pogba was still there. Alexis Sanchez was the, the kind of the big outlier mistake. It was easier to get rid of him than it would be to get rid of Cristiano because Alexis never had the profile of Cristiano. He also doesn't have the history at the club that Cristiano has. Juan Mata, he's still around. You had Lukaku back then, who's a better striker than anyone you currently have. Like, wouldn't a front four of Sancho on the right, Rashford on the left, Lukaku and Greenwood up front, wouldn't that work really well? And then you still have Martial as a bench option? Now, there's no role for Bruno in that team, but wouldn't that front four be really, really good? You've got Rashford, you've got Martial, who's worse now than he was when you took over. Chris Smalling was there. I, I think Chris Smalling's a solid centre-back. Not a great one, but he's certainly a, a reliable backup. Uh, Jesse Lingard was a better player when you took over than he is now. Andreas Pereira, he's gone. Rojo was awful. Move on as quickly as possible. Uh, Fred was in his first season. You've never figured out how to use him. Three years later, he's worse than he was then. Ashley Young was past his best, but he had leadership that he could bring to the group. Diogo Delot, he hasn't improved at all in the time all he's been there. Ander Herrera, couldn't they use an Ander Herrera now? Someone with a bit of fight and a bit of gnarl in midfield. Sergio Romero, fair enough, they've got Dean Henderson now who's better. Luke Shaw, Luke Shaw is a better player now than he was. Luke Shaw got 14 yellow cards. In the 18-19 season. That's miraculous. In in 40 games. He got 40 yellow, 14 yellow cards. That's really impressive. Uh, Fosu Mensa, Quality young defender. He's gone. Antonio Valencia. He was the club captain. Uh, young was the team captain. But he's gone. That's leadership gone. Fellaini. Whatever. Uh, Nemanja Matic is worse now than he was when Oli took over because he's gotten old. Darmian was a solid fullback. He's still a solid fullback. You wouldn't necessarily want him in your team. 
James Garner, young player. Tunzebi, young player who's out on loan. McTominay, I don't think he's really developed all that well. The rest of these are all kids. But I don't know that the squad at that point wasn't shaping up as something. I don't really know what it was shaping up as, but it was shaping up as something. You know? Maybe you could have gone with Rashford on the right, Pogba on the left, Greenwood and Lukaku with Martial then as a backup. Considering Just considering you had Pogba, not necessarily because I'd want him in the team, but there is value in him. I mean, he's, he's certainly talented. It's just that they've never gotten the most out of him. But you put that as a front four. So you don't have to buy Sancho. You just use Pogba. Um, you've got Shaw left back. You've got Lindelof, who's more suited to a high line than Maguire, despite not having great pace. That team needed a right back, a centre back, and two central midfielders to be potential title challengers. This current team probably needs more. Probably needs more unless you're going to try and become an ultra-defensive counter-attacking team. And to do that ultra-defensive counter-attacking team, you'd need all of your forward players to buy in, which I'm not sure they would. Now, the name's going round. So, Ollie's gone, and the word is, it's Carrick, then it's going to be an interim manager, and then it's going to be the permanent manager in the summer. So, the four guys they seem to be looking at, or at least the three that they're looking at and the one that allegedly Cristiano would like, Brendan Rodgers, Pochettino, who I think I called that one about two months ago, and Eric Ten Hag. And Rodgers and Ten Hag seem like they're staying where they are, at least until the summer. There's a lot of talk that Pochettino might be ready to jump ship now, but I don't know how much truth there is to it. As far as interims go, Ranić is one who's been mentioned. I don't think he'll take the job on an interim basis. And Laurent Blanc is the other. Now, Laurent Blanc obviously played for United, was a a player Ferguson had great admiration for, and has been a manager now for, well, he's been a manager for quite some time. Uh, 2007, he got his first managerial job with Bordeaux. He's managed France, he's managed PSG, and he is currently managing Al Rayan in, I believe, the United Arab Emirates. But he hasn't exactly got the best track record. So he did pretty well with Bordeaux. He did okay with France, not great. He did well enough with PSG, but managed to lose a league title there. Um, or did he? No, he didn't, actually. He won all three. He left, oh, he left by mutual consent that preserved the interests of both parties. Because there had been rumours about things that he'd said, there were also rumours about comments that he made as France manager uh, with relation to black people. 
Since taking over at Al Rayyan, he has not done a good job. Currently has a 35% uh, win record. Uh, 39 games, 14 wins, 7 draws, 18 defeats, and a negative 2 goal differential. This is despite, you know, they're in Qatar actually, not the United Arab Emirates. This is despite quite a talented squad and, and a lot of money spent. They've got Hamez, they've got uh, Yasin Brahimi, who people might remember was at Porto. Um, it's a very talented squad that he's got. The Stephen and Zanzi's there earning big money. And yet they've been pretty poor under Laurent Blanc. But Ferguson apparently likes him and he, he might be willing to consider the job until the end of the season. Now, is he a better manager than Oli? Probably marginally better. Is he going to do a, a better job right now? I don't know. He might help Maguire learn how to do some basic things defensively. Um, and obviously, Varane has always looked up to Laurent Blanc who's a legend in, in French football. But surely before they sacked Dolly, they should have had a plan in place. Surely there was somebody in a room somewhere at either the training ground or Old Trafford with a list of managers with you know contact information for agents making phone calls and seeing, you know, would Brendan be interested in this job? Would would Pochettino be interested in this job, but no, it appears like they're just making it up as they go along. Like this idea that they'll have a caretaker and then an interim and then a manager is bizarre. What football club runs like that? And what happens if the interim does a really good job? Does he get the job permanently? Is there that carrot at the end of it? Like, are they saying to Laurent Blanc, Come in, do the job. If you do well, you'll get a three-year contract. Are they offering that to Ranić, Or is it a case of come in till the end of the season and then thanks and good luck, and then we'll go and we'll try and get Brendan or Maurizio Pochettino or Eric Ten Hag or uh, Julian Lupetegui, who's the, another one that I mentioned a while back. Apparently he would be Cristiano's preferred choice to take over. Now, there was talk that when he went to um, to Sevilla that United had had interest in him before that, but whether that's true or not, I have no idea. He is a very, very talented coach. He's been around a long, long time. In, he spent years coaching at youth level within the Spanish setup. Um, coached the under-19s, the under-20s, the under-21s. Then he went to Porto. Then he was the Spanish manager for two years. And then he obviously got the Real Madrid job, which caused him to get sacked as the Spain manager on the eve of the World Cup. And then he only lasted, what, 20 games as Real manager? Uh, no, sorry, 14 games as Real manager. 14 games. And was sacked. But he's done a great job at Sevilla, won them a Europa League and 58% win rate record with Sevilla is really, really promising. He is 56, 55, so he's not a young manager. He's not someone coming in that's going to 
you know, need, need to learn on the job, so to speak. He's someone that could do a job straight away. Of the candidates mentioned, I do think he's the best one. Now, he's also the one I would say is probably best suited to the current crop of players. When you think of how Sevilla play, I think he's the one who's tactically closest to what this United group are capable of. But he will need help in midfield. Ten Hag, I don't think, could manage this team. Certainly not with the likes of Maguire. He wants to play a really aggressive high line. Front-footed, high-pressing. They just don't have the players for it. Now, you can coach it into the younger players. You're not coaching it into Harry Maguire. He's too slow. He'll still need a midfield. You'll still need a change of goalkeeper as well. Rodgers, depending on how he plays, Rodgers has played a back three quite a bit at Leicester. So maybe he can make it work as long as he brings in a centre-back. But then you also need to bring in a right wing-back. You need to sort out what you're doing in attack. Brendan's system, if he plays the back three, will mean that highly talented players are being left out and lesser players are going to play instead of them because they fit the system. Which is to say he would need heavy squad turnover as well. <clears throat> and then there's Pochettino. Now you look at his best Spurs team. His best Spurs team played a 4-2-3-1. Hugo Lloris in goal. A sweeper keeper. David De Gea, not a sweeper keeper. Kyle Walker at right back. Could he make do with Wan-Bissaka? Possibly. Possibly. He turned Danny Rose into one of the better left backs in the league for a couple of seasons. Luke Shaw is better than Danny Rose. But he had Toby Alderweireld and Jan Vertonghen in their prime. I would argue that prime Toby Alderweireld is better than current Raphael Varane. Now, Varane of a few years ago was better than Toby, but Varane is not the player he was. Uh, Prime Vertonghen, absolutely better than Harry Maguire. Also, all suited to a high line. So there's, you know, problem number one. He'd be better individual defenders at Spurs and played a different style. In midfield, he had Wanyama and Dembele. Doesn't have either or anything like them at United. So you'll need a brand new midfield. Then he had Son, Deli, and Eriksson. Now, Rashford could play the, the Youngman Son role. Could, maybe, maybe Bruno could play the Eriksson role. He's more of a scorer than a creator, but maybe he can be that kind of conduit for them. And then maybe Greenwood is your Deli Ali, and you just change where they play. But he had Harry Kane, and United don't have a Harry Kane. And the thing is, with that team, which, by the way, was really, really good, Spurs won nothing. They came third in a two-horse race when they were one of the horses behind the Leicester City team that they were infinitely better than. Infinitely better than. I've no idea to this day how Tottenham didn't win the league in 2016. They were comfortably the best team in the league. 
And yet, not only did they not win the league, they didn't actually get close in the end. Now, he got them to a Champions League final. He did that at the expense of their league form. They collapsed in the league. And they were awful on the day against Liverpool. That team wasn't as good as the team that had almost... Well, I said I was going to say almost won the league, but... They didn't almost win the league. They almost finished second. They ended up third. Arsenal somehow overtook them. I don't know that Pochettino is a winner. I know he's a good coach. And I know he improves players. But I haven't seen him win anything. He took over a PSG last year. To memory, they were second in... Legal, but like really close to uh, to Lille. Let me check this. What date did he take over? He took over on the second of January. Okay, they were third in the table. A couple of weeks after he took over, they were first. And yet they ended up second. So he he had the chance to win the league. And, and not just the chance. He had by far the best team, by far the best squad. And he failed to get the job done. They lost four games the back half of the season under his watch and failed to get the job done. Even though Lille drew 11 games. 11 games. Lille dropped points in more games than Paris Saint-Germain. PSG won two games more than Lille. And still lost the title. I don't know that Pochettino is a winner. Yes, he won the Coupe de France. Great. Brilliant. Had they won that before, or they had, they'd won it pretty much every year before that for the previous five or six years. I don't know that Pochettino was enough of a winner to turn things around at United. I've said this about Brendan Rodgers as well. I don't think Brendan Rodgers wins you a league title. Can Eric Ten Hag? He's won league titles with Ajax, but it's the weakest league. It's the Eredivisie. Rodgers, Pochettino, Lupetegui, they've managed in, in top leagues. Ten Hag hasn't yet. Now, Ten Hag brings a style of play, a mindset, and a culture that I think United fans certainly have been craving since Ferguson left. United fans really wanted Guardiola. Ten Hag would bring a lot of similarities. But I do think his style of football also blends elements of what United fans want. Not just the idea of the Guardiola thing, but he plays at a higher tempo. He's a bit more aggressive. Pep can be quite passive in in a lot of things. And Pep's way of defending is to just keep the ball, keep the ball, keep the ball tire your opponents out to the point that when they get the ball, they're tired and you can just take it back off them. 
Ten Hag is much more aggressive. He he actively seeks to just tear the life out of teams. If they're the four main candidates, Pochettino, Rodgers, Ten Hag and Lupetegui, I think Lupetegui is the best fit with the current squad. I think Ten Hag has the highest ceiling. I think Pochettino and Rodgers get you top four consistently every year. But I don't know. And I, and I know that they're both good managers. And they're good from opposite ways. Rodgers, much more attack-minded. Pochettino, very good at improving defenders. Can he improve Maguire at 28-29? I don't know. But I th- certainly think he can set up a structure to the defence that will protect Maguire more than Ollie was able to do. But none of them appear to be ready until the summer. Now, again, like I said earlier, there are a lot of rumours that Pochettino wants the job now. But if he's their first choice... And the issue is they don't appear to have a definitive first choice. Surely they would just wait for him until the summer, if need be, rather than jumping elsewhere. And I I think there's something to be said for him potentially staying at PSG, winning the league, maybe winning the Champions League, and then arriving on a high arriving with real momentum, with real confidence in himself that I've just won the biggest prizes, I'm ready to take this on. As opposed to kind of just scuttling out the side door. When PSG was allegedly his dream job. Remember, Pochettino had been linked there for years. He played there for a couple of years in the early 2000s when he left Espanyol. And he always talked about going back. He loved Paris. His family loved Paris. And when he got the job, he said, this is my dream job. To leave after less than a year in charge would be odd. It would be odd. Right now, I would say he is the second best of the four. I would say Rogers is the third best. And Ten Hag is the fourth best, but Ten Hag is the youngest and the least experienced, and I do think he has the highest ceiling. I think he's the one that if you're going to be looking for a long-term project, looking to really rebuild Manchester United, Eric Ten Hag is probably your best option. But you're going to have to be very patient with him, because for him to implement his way of playing is going to take time and it's going to take money. Lupitegi and to an extent Pochettino probably need less investment immediately than Ten Hag and less than Rodgers as well. Now, whether either of them are strong enough or whether any of them are strong enough personalities to deal with Cristiano to deal with the Pogba situation, I have no idea. And maybe that's the purpose of going and bringing in, bringing in an interim. 
and having that interim take the brunt of dropping Cristiano, seeing Pogba out the door, knowing that they're not going to have to deal with the repercussions of it afterwards. New manager can walk in, well, Pogba's gone, don't have to deal with that anymore. Cristiano wants to leave, but it's not my fault, it's the previous fella's fault. I just find it funny, though, that they had... They gave him a new contract. They gave Oli a new contract in the summer, a three-year contract in the summer, which they're going to have to pay out every penny of. Since the summer, they've given new contracts to Carrick, to Phelan, and to two others in the backroom. All three-year contracts, all of which they're going to have to pay out in full if those people leave the club. They had two international breaks this season. Well, they had three, but... Two where United weren't good. In particular, the last one. To properly put a plan in place. To know who they were going to bring in. Should Ollie go. So that if they sacked him. They could just announce straight away. Laurent Blanc is arriving as the interim manager. Or Ralph Ranić is coming in as the interim manager. If they knew that none of the first four. And I, I, look, I don't know that Lupitegi is a club choice. We have heard Pochettino, Rogers, and Ten Hag are the club's choices. Lupitegi is apparently Cristiano's choice. It would be funny if he took over and binned him off. But he, he has been, come out and said that it's nonsense. He, he, he doesn't want to talk about it. So let's limit it to the other three. United have to make a decision soon on what this season is for them. If they're appointing an interim, this season is basically a lost cause. If they're bringing in a Pochettino, a Rodgers, or a Ten Hag, what's the what's the aim for the rest of this season? Is it just get to top four and then from next year start to try and figure things out? Or is it walk in the door and from day one start to imprint your style, your philosophy, your structure on the team and on the club. That's what they have to be able to figure out in the next little while. What does the rest of this season mean for the club? Because ideally, you would probably want to say to the manager, don't worry about what happens this season. This season is only about assessing the squad figuring out who you want to keep and who you don't want to keep and implementing your style of play. That's all this season is about. If they do the interim thing, they can't do that. But if they do the interim thing, maybe they can get their choice. Maybe they can get whichever of the three they want in the summer. There's nobody out there right now other than maybe Ranjek who could take the job on right now on a permanent basis, and you'd say, well, he's a good manager. There's a lot of mediocrity out there, your Steve Bruce's of the world, but I, I just can't picture that they go that route. It's going to be really interesting to see who they go with, what, what angle they take on this. Can they get Pochettino now? Is that a real thing? Or is that just the media cooking things up? For PSG to let Pochettino go, do they have to have Zidane lined up? Is that what their plan would be? Does Zidane want that job? 
because a lot of people, I, I thought, you know, that's one of the jobs that would, would suit Zidane. And when I floated the idea of Pochettino to United a couple of months ago, I said Zidane to PSG. But a lot of people have said Zidane actually wants the French job. He doesn't want another club job. He wants the national team job after the World Cup, and he's prepared to wait for it. So if he's not available, PSG aren't going to let Pochettino go. They just aren't, because who are they going to replace him with? So United might have to go the interim route. In which case, you know, what if Carrick does well before you can appoint an interim manager? It's all very messy. It's all really messy. And it has broken people. It really has broken people. It's broken fans. It's broken media members. I want to read you a couple of things that I thought were, well, one was amusing. And one I thought was, was a really bad take. Okay, one I thought was just a dreadful, dreadful take. So, in terms of the comedy, let me read you some tweets. Uh, these are all from the same fellow. It's credible to say Cristiano Ronaldo will now be prepared by the Manchester United board to be the next full-time manager. This ambition of Cristiano and the club was discussed last summer. The board want their financial and footballing strategy linked to Cristiano for years to come. He brings cash. I want a tactical coach to replace Oli, but I also want one who who cares the way Oli did. Someone that understands Manchester United and what the fans demand. I talk about this on more on his YouTube show, which I'm not going to name because he doesn't deserve it to be named. Could Ronaldo and Zidane form a wild double act? Ronaldo is being considered by Manchester United to eventually succeed, Solskjaer. Can they tempt Zidane with a short-term deal handing the reins to Cristiano after he obtains his coaching license? Ronaldo has expressed a strong desire to coach and manage and settle his family in the northeast of, northwest of England. He wants to stay at Manchester United beyond his contract. Now, this is one of the most deluded things I've ever heard. Okay, so first of all, Cristiano Ronaldo has never publicly expressed a desire to coach or manage. Never. He has never expressed a, a desire to stay in the northwest of England long term and settle his family there. He has always talked about going back home and settling in Portugal and doing that. He has talked in the past about setting up his own academy, but he has not talked about becoming a coach or a manager. So this is utter tripe. This is deluded nonsense, the likes of which only comes from a broken fan base, desperate for something to cling to, desperate for any small hope that maybe something good can come out of this. Because... Nobody would seriously look at Cristiano Ronaldo and say he's got the right temperament to be a manager. Nobody would look at him and think that. He does not come across as the type who would be a good manager. He shows little to no leadership on the pitch. He shows little or no 
selflessness, which I think is really important for managers. I don't see him as one that has a high tactical understanding of the game. I think he's very clearly skated on incredible physical ability and, of course, his talent. He puts in the work, not to say he skates and and has had it easy. He has put in incredible hours of commitment to his, his craft. But he's never one that's actually had to bend into a tactical setup. Tactical setups have been altered to suit Cristiano Ronaldo. And I think when you factor in who he is as a person and as a player, it really just doesn't make sense to put him forward as a manager. It doesn't make sense to me at all. The other thing I read that I thought was really, really far out of line was the following tweet. Neither Koeman nor Solskjaer had the decency to step down and resign when it was clear they were out of their depth. Not going to blame them for wanting to collect severance. But another reason why appointing managers for love of the club is such a hollow, poor motivation. So, I genuinely think this is a horrible, horrible take. These are their their dream jobs. When Oli became a manager, his dream was to replace Ferguson. When Koeman became a manager, his dream was to manage Barca and carry on the work of Cruyff and and the, the, the Dutch legacy at Barcelona. They didn't quit those jobs because they loved the club and they weren't going to walk away from the club they love or their own dreams just because some fellow on the internet thinks they should do. These are highly driven, highly accomplished men who reach the very pinnacle as players. Both have European Cup winners' medals. Koeman has a European Championship winners' medal with the Dutch national team in 88. They played at the very highest level, won the very highest prizes, and they probably believed they could turn things around. They probably didn't believe that they were out of their depth. They probably thought they were absolutely fine to do their thing. And that it would turn around and they would be able to do it. But they also didn't want to leave those clubs they love in the lurch. I genuinely thought this was one of the most horrible takes I've ever read. I would say Pirlo, Lampard, even Steve Bruce the same. Men who loved the clubs that they were given the opportunity to manage, fulfilling dreams of theirs, and being able to try to play a part in turning those great institutions around. Pirlo not so much turned them around as they were already nine-time champions, but carry on the good work there. For Bruce, for Ollie, for Koeman, it was very much trying to turn the thing around. Lampard kind of steadying the ship more than anything. But nobody should ever expect a manager to quit or walk away. If a manager quits and walks away, they are admitting they're not good enough. If a manager admits he's not good enough for one job, 
he's likely not good enough for any job. And other clubs will look at it that way, and he will look at it that way. And it will affect his confidence. And Oli and Lampard and Koeman and all the rest, they want to have careers doing this. They want to go on. And if, if it is to be that they're not going to do the job at their current club anymore, they want to go somewhere else and have another opportunity. But other clubs will look at that and think, well, why would I appoint you if you quit when the going gets tough? For an Oli or a Koeman, there might be a, a club that's in a relegation battle that might want them. But they're not going to look at men who walked away because they weren't getting top four and think, well, Christ, if you walk away from that, what will you do if you're in a relegation scrap with me? It's such a bad take. Such a bad take to say that they didn't have the decency. How dare you suggest that they don't have the decency? If, if you want to be journalist, were given a job at ESPN and it became very apparent very quickly that you weren't good enough to work for ESPN or Fox or whoever you got the job with, if it became apparent to everybody, well, let me be clear, you would be the last to know that your work's not up to, or you'd be the last to realize that your work's not up to standard. Would you walk away from your dream job? No. No, you wouldn't. So don't criticize others for doing something you wouldn't do. I've gone very long on this, and I do apologize, but I had lots to say. I've probably got more to say, but we'll leave it there. I'm going to take a very quick break so we can pay the bills. And when we come back, uh, I think it's just the gossip, and we'll be done for the day. So I'll see you in a minute. Okay, a couple of last bits on United. Uh, Michael Carrick was given no time scale and no certainty by Executive Vice Chairman Ed Woodward when asked to step in as Manchester United manager. So says uh, Simon Stone of the BBC. Stone also says that the interim boss is the preferred choice. Um if they can't get one of their top targets. So rather than settle, they're prepared to wait, which is kind of what they did with Ollie, except that they ended up just sticking with Ollie. But yeah, it does look like Laurent Blanc, Lucien Favre is one that's been mentioned here, uh, Ralph Ranić. They seem to be the uh, Favre and, sorry, Ranić and Blanc seem to be the, the two that have been mentioned most often, but Lucian Favre could be an interesting one. Um, Simon Stone also reporting that Mauricio Pochettino could be open to leaving PSG now. Now, again, I think it this would depend on Zidane. I, I don't think PSG would let him go without having somebody secured to take over somebody of the same caliber or better um so apparently Pochettino is not happy in PSG and part of that unhappiness is the culture around the squad uh the squad is unbalanced there's a surplus of left backs that's a bizarre 
a bizarre complaint to have a surplus of left backs. Let's have a quick gander at the Paris Saint-Germain squad. Uh, while I'm doing this, did anyone else see the Marseille-Lyon game over the weekend? That's the second Marseille game this season that has been uh, called to a halt halfway through the game and the players have been brought off and the game didn't restart uh, because of fans throwing stuff onto the pitch. French football has a bit of a problem. Might be time to put up some big old nets or some glass screens. Right. Left-backs in the Paris Saint-Germain squad, okay? Navas, no. Hakimi, no. Kimpembe, no. Ramos, Marquinhos, Verratti, Mbappe, Paredes, Icardi, Neymar, Di Maria, Rafinha. Juan Bernat, Ricardo Pereira, Sergio Rico, Colin Dagba, Ginny Wijnaldum, Levin Kurzawa, Ander Herrera, Abdu Diallo, Tilo Carrere, Julian Draxler, Nuno Mendes, Idrissa Gay, uh, Junior Dina Mpembe, uh, Messi, Xavi Simmons. Okay, there are three left-backs in the squad. Um, Juan Bernat, 28-year-old who's had a surprisingly good career considering is you know his level, but he has played very very little. He he has played uh, six games for PSG over the last eighteen months. So how is that an issue? Kurzawa, uh, talented player, always always plagued by injuries. Never played more than thirty games for PSG. Season high of twenty eight in seventeen eighteen. In his career, he's only played over thirty once. Um. He's injury prone. And Nuno Mendes is is 19. He is just the biggest talent going at left back. That's not a complaint. That's nonsense. I I do wonder if that's a real thing or if that's just a journalist talking absolute bobbins. Uh, recruitment decisions are out of Pochettino's hands. He is essentially an advisor to Leonardo. That is the case at most top clubs, especially continental clubs. The sporting director is in charge of transfers. The manager makes suggestions on you know, what kind of player he wants and the profile he wants for that player. But that's not new, and Pochettino knew all of this before taking that job. So I'm going to put this in the tripe bin. Um, Harry Maguire says Ole Gunnar Solskjaer paid the price for poor results. Yeah, I mean, it's true. He did. He did. He paid the price for poor results for poor performances, and for overpaid, underperforming player players like yourself, Harry, not turning up and doing the job. It's as simple as that. United can look up and down their squad, and there are a handful of players who have performed at an acceptable level this season. A handful. And even those that started the season well have now fallen off a cliff. Um. We'll wrap up with the gossip. It's been heavy Man United today. Actually, no. Before we go to the gossip, before we go to the gossip, we do have Champions League football tonight, folks, which is worth your while. So early kickoffs, two of them. Dinamo Kiev versus Bayern Munich. Now, Bayern already through, uh, basically certain to be group winners in the group with Barcelona, Benfica, and obviously 
Dinamo Kiev. Um, any kind of result here will will put Bayern through as group winners. They're currently six points clear of Barca in second. They have a nineteen goal advantage in the uh, in the goal difference column. So they're through as group winners. They don't really need to do anything in the next two games. But that's one of the early games. The other one is Villarreal versus Manchester United. Michael Carrick in charge there. So that's an interesting one. There are some cracking games on at 8 o'clock. So you get Juventus against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge. As things stand, Juventus top of the group, Chelsea second. Three points between them. They're both basically guaranteed to go through anyway. Juve would likely take the draw here, knowing that they will beat Malmo in the last game, and that will send them on as group winners. So they'd likely take the draw. But for Chelsea, you might want to go for the win and get top spot to get the easier draw in the next round. They won't really care as defending champions. I think they'll be very, very confident. Also in that group, obviously, Malmo against Zenit St. Petersburg. They're only really playing for third spot in Europa League football. Uh, you'd have to make Zenit the favourites in that one. In the other game from um, from Bayern's group, which is Group E, you get Barcelona versus Benfica at 8 o'clock. This should be a good one. Barca have a two-point advantage. They've won their last two games in the competition, uh, including one over, over Benfica. But they do have Bayern in their last game. So that's going to be tough. If Benfica get the win here, they play Dinamo Kiev last. And that will likely secure them second spot. So for Benfica, even a draw here is not a terrible result. Because they have the easier game in the last one. Bayern won't need to beat Barca, but would likely want to do it anyway. So for Benfica, a draw here isn't a bad result. Now it is a way it's at the new camp. Xavi had his first game at the weekend. It wasn't all good. It wasn't even mostly good. But, you know, you'd hope new manager bounce carries on a bit more than one game. Sevilla versus Wolfsburg is a cracker. Also 8 p.m. This group is Group G. It's really, really tight. You've got Salzburg top, Lille and Wolfsburg second and third, separated by one goal, and then Sevilla bottom, but only four points between first and fourth. So all four of them can still progress. The other game in that group is obviously Lille versus Salzburg. Salzburg win, they're through. That's all they need to focus on. If they win, they're through. Sevilla need that win against Wolfsburg. Uh, And then Young Boys against Atalanta is the final game. That's also from Group F, which is United's group. Atalanta need the win. Need the win here. Or they're done for. Um... They've got Villarreal last, and that's a very, very tough game to finish on, whereas United play young boys last. So uh, an Atalanta win and a Villarreal win would see United third, but those two teams would play each other. United have young boys at home, a game they should win. Now, they've been dreadful in the Champions League. They lost to young boys, of course. They've been poor in the last three games and somehow gotten seven points. But a win over Young Boys in the last game will almost certainly see them through on the head-to-head. Depending on how tonight goes. If they get if they get walloped tonight, maybe not. If they get walloped tonight, that could be them in trouble. Uh, we'll leave it 
with the golf stuff then. Paris Saint-Germain players believe Pochettino will leave and Zidane will replace him. From Marca in Spain, I wouldn't put any faith in it. Uh, United would have to pay €10 million Euro to prize Pochettino away from PSG. Well, considering they're paying Cristiano Ronaldo £25 million to stand around and do nothing, seems like a good deal. PSG have contacted Zidane, over, who is keen to take over as manager. Uh, Julian Lupetegui has branded rumours linking him with Manchester United as absurd. Ed Woodward is considering delaying his departure to help find Ollie's successor. He was due to leave at the end of the year. Former Newcastle boss Steve Bruce said to be very keen on the short-term job at Manchester United. That, I mean... I can't see it, but it would be funny. Uh, Mo Salah is close to signing a new contract at Liverpool. 29-year-old will enter the final year of his contract in the summer. Um, who knows? Who knows? Arsenal will not discuss a new contract with Alex Lacazette knowing they, until the end of the season, knowing they risk losing him for free. That's stupidity. Um, Chelsea are confident Mason Mount, Mason Mount will sign a new contract He's been linked with clubs recently. He's been linked to Liverpool. He's been linked to City. I can't see him leaving, but it's weird that he's getting linked to other clubs. Bayern Munich want to sign Pedri, despite him having a £1 billion release. It's just stupid. West Ham are working on a deal to sign Sparta Prague and Czech Republic striker Adam, Pla Adam Plazek. He's really talented. This story's from Football Insider, so we'll put it in the bin. Uh, Renato Sanchez says he's ready for a new challenge and has mentioned Arsenal and AC Milan as clubs that he could be interested in. He's not a good fit at Arsenal. He's too injury-prone as well. AC Milan as a replacement for Kessie would be interesting. Arsenal need more of a Ruben Neves type. Ruben Neves should be Arsenal's top target. Neves and Thomas Partey would be a really good pairing. Uh, Thomas Tuchel wants Antonio Rudiger, Andreas Christensen, Thiago Silva... And Cesar Aspilicueta to sign new deals. All four out of contract in the summer. Alexander Mitrovic is said to be a target for multiple clubs in the January market. With Unai Emery and Villarreal potentially looking for a striker. He scored 21 goals in 18 games this season. He has been on a tear. But he does this. I mean, he did it the last time. Not, not to this extent. But the last time he was in the championship as well. He absolutely wrecked the place. Um, 26 goals in 40 the last time. Now, 21 and 18 is, is incredibly impressive, but he scored three and 27 last time around in the Premier League. Three and 27. There's, it, he's such a strange player. Barcelona could terminate Samuel Mtiti's contract. The French defender has failed to agree a cut on his 208,000 a week salary. Yeah, and rightly so. We shouldn't agree any cut to it. Bayern Munich are set to offer Nicolas Sula a new contract. Yeah. Arsenal are interested in finding in, in signing Romanian forward Janis Stoika. Currently plays for FCSB, who formerly known as Stoya Bucharest. If you haven't read the story behind the name Stoya Bucharest and why they can't use it anymore, well worth your while going and finding that one. 
Uh, but that's basically it for today, folks. That is me. Thank you, as always. Sorry it was long. Sorry it was very United heavy. If you're, you're not, a, not a United fan, but I just, you know. What else are you going to talk about in a random Tuesday in November? COVID? I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.